1: From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Pariya Montezeri, has a 28 years of experience with Sufism, Advaita Vedanta, and other mystical and contemplative practices. As a Persian-speaking devotee of Rumi, Puriya enters the world of Sufism without the intermediary of translation. He can read Rumi in the original. And my hope with this interview is to have him invite us all into a deeper understanding of Rumi and the wisdom that is, in fact, uh, Paria Montezari. So, Paria, welcome to Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm very happy to have
1: you on the show. Uh, You don't have a book. You have a series of videos on your website, and the website is FootprintsOfRumi.com, FootprintsOfRumi.com. And you really take a deep dive into one of the most well-known poets of the 20th and 21st centuries, even though you know, he, he hasn't been alive for centuries. So I want to dive into that with you. But before we do that, how about introducing us to your own spiritual journey? How did you move into Sufism? How did you get into Vedanta? What
2: is pulling you? That's a wonderful question. I think the best way to answer that is to say I was born with this fire of longing inside of my being, feeling that this body was too small with this for this huge heart that was burning from as long as I remember of wanting closeness to God, was attracted to religious and spiritual teachings. And... At the age of 14, I was blessed with the biggest gift that I can ever think of, and that was being introduced to the school of Sufism. And from that moment on, my life has changed. And even though I grew up with the teachings and the poetry of Rumi and Hafez and Sa'adi, all these great Sufi Persian poets and mystics, it wasn't until these teachings in Sufism that I began to slowly and experientially understand what these words meant. Basically, all the fingers pointed to the moon. I began to see maybe what the moon looked like.
1: Already, we've moved from Sufism to Buddhist metaphor. So, I, I appreciate the interspiritual nature of your practice, of your of
2: your teaching. You were fourteen, so were you raised a Muslim? I was raised in a Muslim country, but I was raised in a family that was neither religious nor spiritual. But I was gifted with an amazing mother who always provided opportunities for me to seek my heart's longing. So where was this, Turkey or Iran? Iran. Iran. Yes.
1: So yeah. they, I mean, you said you were introduced, you're gifted with the teachings of Sufism. So tell us about that. How did that happen?
2: Well, I, I moved to the States when I was 10 and around age of 14, uh, through a lot of incredible transpersonal events, I was introduced to these teachings. And... They consumed my entire life. My, my teenage years were pretty much uh, delved into the essence of these teachings. And for the first time, all that I was longing for, all that my heart was attracted to, was, was starting to make sense. And it was through that that throughout the years I began to slowly, in my own little way, understand what Rumi spoke of about 800 years ago through his own um, alchemical transformation. So I want to get
1: into that in a minute, but before we do that, I, I often get the sense when I'm doing retreats, giving talks, when when I, I mention Rumi, people know that Rumi is a poet. And we're going to go into that because it's really not a poet the way most people think of poets, but they don't associate him necessarily with Sufism, or even if they do, they don't know what Sufism is. So, is there a quick, short, brief definition of of Sufism? I, I know that's an absurd question, but
2: no, it's a great question. Um, yes, Rumi was not a poet in the sense of you know what a poet means to us um, in the East. He's considered a saint and a mystic, and what he has left us are considered mystical verses and not poetry because most of them over 70,000 lines came through him in the state of ecstasy, true ecstasy and being lost in in, in, in in the beloved, in the love inside of his own heart, manifesting the essence, the teachings of the religion he was born and raised in and that was Islam. So Sufism, is the essence, is the reality, is the path of Islam, which means to surrender for the drop to become one with the ocean, for one's will to become one with the will of existence. And Rumi, through the essence of Islam, Sufism, and through the through the uh, grace and mercy of a beautiful teacher, and he had multiple teachers, but spe- specifically Shams, he started to transition from a very renowned scholar and teacher uh, with over 10,000 students to this amazing Sufi and poet of love that we know of him uh, 800 years later.
1: My understanding of Rumi's surrendering to these verses is that he would spin around a pole I, I was taught that he would like place one hand on a pillar in the mosque and then walk around the pillar, and that would put him in an altered state, and then the poems would or the the verses would come to him, and that's the origin of spinning in the uh, Medlevi order. How 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 far off is that?
2: You know, Shams, when entered Rumi's life, uh, one of the many things that gifted Rumi and taught Rumi was. Um, the swirling, which existed before Rumi's time. The word sema um, initially meant deep listening. So the teachers would have their students turn. And as they turn, they gave the teachings that in that, in that turning, this incredible stillness is created, that deep listening is available. And then later, that turning was named sema. Um, which initially meant deep listening. So Rumi learned that from Shams. And later, uh, especially when he was uh, in the latter years of his life, in the last 15 years of his life, writing the book Masnavi, he had a pole in his room as Hossam Medina Chalabi, his closest um, beloved friend, would jot down every line. He would turn around this pole, and in a state of ecstasy, um, these beautiful lines would come out of him, and they were written by him or his son or other students.
1: You almost get the sense that he was listening. Yes. And so what do you think he was listening
2: to? He was listening to the language of God, which is silence. When one is not there, the one meaning the construction, the personhood, the identity, then that which is to be revealed comes easily. And he became that instrument. He became an empty reed flute. His holes were infilled with ego and ideas and concepts. Shams came into his life and invited him to let go of everything, and the two beautiful examples here were um, Mother Mary and the Prophet Muhammad. Mary was a virgin. The Prophet Muhammad was illiterate. So, in in just in these two amazing beings, we are gifted with this teaching that for us to be open for revelation, to truly listen to that which is already here, that we are blocking it. Is that we do have to be virgin, meaning pure, polishing our hearts, purifying our system. And we need to be illiterate. We need to let go of all that we accumulated through imitation, meaning borrowing other people's experiences or other people's philosophy. We need to know it in our own hearts. And that was the journey that Rumi took and got to a place that in that ecstasy, where he no longer was there, this vast and infinite compassionate existence blew through this beautiful empty reed flute, and you and I, eight hundred years later, are gifted by a map of the heart. These are not poem and poems for us to share. He, these, it's embedded with keys of the journey. It's, it's, it's meant for the lovers of God in existence, and it's a map.
1: So, Perea, I I just want to pick up on this notion of Mary. So, I, I understand, I mean, Muhammad, of course, there is more, there are more verses about Mary in the Holy Quran than there are in the New Testament.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org/thrive.
1: So, what was Rumi's experience with Mary?
2: Well, as a Muslim, you cannot um, be raised without being versed in Judaism and in Christianity. So Jesus and Mother Mary are all over the Qur'an. So as a Muslim, you are exposed to those teachings. And when you are um, gifted with with the teachings of the Sufis, who go beyond the word, beyond the form, beyond just the stories, and find the essence and true inner meanings of everything, then someone like Rumi would truly understand the essence of Mother Mary beyond just a figure uh, in a story or in a book, even in the Quran. So we get to see that it's an archetype. It's an invitation. That's
1: what I was going to ask you. So that's how
2: I experience
1: her also, that she is... One archetype among many, of the divine mother, of the divine feminine. And for me, when when you linked Muhammad being illiterate and Mary being a virgin, what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding, it sounds like we're going to a primal state first beyond, like in Zen you know beyond words and and language. And then in Mary's case, we're going back to a place of primal birthing. The sort of the, the unmanifest manifesting. I mean, there's something a priori about the divine feminine out of which everything comes. Is that is that your experience with this as well? Absolutely,
2: absolutely. You know, I say this in the rooming courses that I that I teach. I say that we can say that in a way, the spiritual journey is moving from form into inner meaning, that everything has a form the teachings have a form meditation has a form contemplation has a form prayer has a form investigation has a form and then when we start the journey of experiencing then we are we see the inner meaning of all the forms and the forms going back to to the to the example earlier like it's like you know finger pointing to the moon we can stare at the tip of this finger and write volumes but then it was meant to turn the neck away from the tip of the finger so we can finally see the moon. So Mother Mary and the Prophet Muhammad, whom um, Rumi adored and loved and wrote so much about, over 6,000 lines of his poetry are direct verses of the Qur'an or are direct sayings of the Prophet. And so then in that state, he's inviting us to see the inner meaning of not only these figures, these beings, but also the labels we've given them, like the virgin or illiterate. Because Mm -hmm. the prophet wasn't illiterate in essence.
1: Right. Yeah. You're making that very clear. It makes me think of that poem, and you'll be able to say it better than I can, where Rumi says there's a, a field out beyond the concepts of good and evil, right and wrong, and I you know, I will meet you there. That always spoke to me of this, I, I would say, just to stick with the Mary theme, this virginal place before concepts arise. And I mean, it's like the Tao, where in Taoism, when they say as soon as there's uh, concepts of goodness, immediately evil happens. So if I'm hearing you right, Rumi is pointing us toward this place of emptiness, this place of formlessness, which, based on what I've read on the website material, you take to be our true essence. I mean, you write, I'm just quoting you for a second, your true essence, you write, is this formless and pure light that is clothed in a layer of personhood. So we are essentially formless. You also have this Advaita, non-dual connection, And I'm wondering when, because I'm also very interested in in Vedanta, uh, specifically non-dual Advaita Vedanta, and I've been initiated into the Ramakrishna order of Vedanta. And the way I was taught is that when you realize this this formless essence, you realize it's the essence of everything, not just my essence, and then you have your essence, my formlessness and your formlessness. There's a singular or non-dual formlessness manifesting as you and i and everything else is that your experience or, or not?
2: absolutely absolutely the essence of islam is unity it it is it unifies it doesn't fragment or differentiate it unifies and in that in that verse that you quoted the original actually says between Islam, he actually uses the word Islam, and he's very sad that they take the word away because he's trying to also show what the essence of Islam means, that beyond Islam and non-belief, there is a field. He's speaking to that beyond form, there is a formless. Beyond duality, there is a non-duality. And then he says, when the Arif, meaning the one who knows, the enlightened one, when he or she reaches there, they kneel in prostration and place their head on that desert plain. That means they give, they give back, they give all that they've accumulated. Wow. So that verse in the original is filled with directions and instructions for the lovers of the heart, for the lovers of, of, of this path to really work in their heart. And it's sad This and dozens of other lines um, have taken away from what he's truly trying to uh, point us to.
1: So that's what makes your work, and and people can access it on the website, Footprints of of Rumi, footprintsofrumi.com, is that you're working directly from the original Persian. And while you list a lot of translations that people can read, My suggestion is that you work, not you, that listeners who are interested in this work with your material because you're going to get the unfiltered, uncensored original text that for one reason or another, I mean, I translate a lot of biblical texts and I do make changes so it fits my own, you know, so it reflects my own worldview, but you're really dealing with the original and it seems to me you're not corrupting it that the truth is there and you're simply making it available to us and I think that is a tremendous gift.
2: Thank you. I trust in the brilliancy of every human being and and the longing and the love inside of their own heart and knowing and and being able to understand the original work which doesn't equate me understanding Rumi's experience I still need to experience it. I trust that if I were to just provide what he's pointing to, that the individuals would take that into their heart and turn that into gold. So I don't see a need for me to add anything or subtract anything because it's it suffices.
1: Right. right. And it's a finger pointing beyond itself. So it's the experience of the reader, or the experience of, of one who's who's really listening to what Rumi is saying that matters most. Let me ask you one last question, because we're really up against the end of the show. But you have this fascinating line on the website, and again, I'm going to quote from you. Instead of focusing on finding love and being loved, heart-centered spirituality focuses on being love and simply loving. So again, I know we're, we're cutting this right up to the end here, but what do you... In a couple of sentences, what does it mean to be love?
2: The prophet said, "You be you." Prophet Muhammad said, "You be you." So, be, and Rumi said, "You know something by its opposite." So, if I'm lacking love, if I'm so focused on wanting to be love, what if I turn it into being love? Then will I be in need of being loved and being so attached? that
1: let's leave it with that i mean that's very powerful leave all of us with something to think about our guest today Puriya montezeri teaches a heart-centered spirituality drawing from sufism especially the works of rumi vedanta and other contemplative paths you can learn more about his work at footprintsofrumi.com. of thank you so much for talking with us on essential conversations
2: thank you it was such a pleasure
1: Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's uh, website, where I now write a bi-weekly column called Roadside Musings, and don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our executive producer is Ben Nusbaum. I'm Rabbi Rami, thanks so much for listening. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast,